Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Afternoon, church. So we're in the series of the King's Speech, but just very quickly before we start, I just want to say a massive thank you to everybody who sponsored me to cycle to Paris, because I did actually get there. Um, and um, we've, that's just the team from the hospice, but there was 52 of us, and we've raised nearly 200,000 so far. So thank you so much, anybody here who did um, sponsor me. I think what this did for me um, was more than about the money. It was about proving to myself that actually I can go beyond what I thought I could do. And it made me realise that I've set limits on my life. If you'd asked me last year, could you do that? I'd have said, absolutely not. But actually, I trained and I got a personal trainer and I did months of training. And actually, it's made me realise that I can actually do an awful lot more than I thought I could. Not just physically, that must operate in other realms as well. I've obviously set boundaries for myself that at my age or my whatever, this is how much I can do. But no, I can do more. And so um, it did a lot for me. Very emotional riding into um, Paris with a whole team of people. And um, in fact, what I didn't tell the others, which was really emotional, was when I got there, we were cycling around this kind of roundabout and lots of people's families had come. So they were all cheering and clapping. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, jumped my two nieces. Uh, and hijacked me. So that was very emotional. That made me cry. Um, So they'd come to surprise me, and um, that was fantastic. So, yeah, it was a really good thing, and thank you so much, everybody. Um, Back to the King's speech. Just wanting to continue on from where Mark left off. Um, We're coming into our week of prayer and fasting. Mark's talked already about foundations and what God's saying to us about foundations. And as a homeowner, I've been thinking a bit about what it means to underpin. You know, we underpin buildings because their foundations are not strong enough. And God has said that he's going to rebuild our foundations. And that can only mean that we're going to be stronger. God wouldn't have to address the foundations if he wasn't going to put more weight on them. And so God is wanting to address our foundations. He's wanting us to become stronger, not just corporately, but individually. And I think that's what's really important. This proved to me that I can do more than I think I can do. And, and I think that um, what God is doing in all of us, as well as what he's doing in the church, is ra- raising us up, raising us up, underpinning us and revisiting our foundations, which is very exciting. We're looking at Matthew 5 to 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to take the next four verses after uh, what Mark preached last week. And this is about revenge or retaliation. And it says, You have heard the law that said punishment should match the injury, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, this is another one of those places where Jesus was saying, You've heard it said like this. But now I'm going to tell you something completely different. And I want it to be like this. And Matthew, the whole book of Matthew is about the kingdom of God. If you want to understand the kingdom of God more, you need to study the book of Matthew. It talks a lot about the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And this is another place now where Jesus is trying to reset what people knew 
and in order to bring it into a kingdom value. So he says, um, if somebody, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. And if you're sued in the court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat too. And if a soldier demands you carry your gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And if you want to study that whole thing more, you look in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's written there in the law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a fracture for a fracture, a foot for a foot. There's a whole lot there. <clears throat> um, and, and what it's saying is that if anyone does an injury to another person, they must be paid back in kind. <clears throat> an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth is really the law of retaliation that God set up. And it's the principle that a person who has injured another person is to be penalised to the same degree. And the intent behind the principle is to restrict compensation um, to the value of the loss. So a tooth for a tooth does not mean if you not get one tooth knocked out, you go and knock out the whole lot. It's one tooth for one tooth. It's one eye for one eye. So the reason that this, and this is not a literal eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It's a principle um, that God had set up for um, a person who was injured and how there was to be some kind of retaliation um, in terms of the value of the loss. This is what this is about. But if you go into um, <clears throat> the way we deal with things these days, we know that uh, we have principles set up in law um, and through the courts where um, a principle of a judgment on a particular crime or an injury is set through case law, isn't it? And so <clears throat> the intention of that is to try and ensure that the punishment does not exceed the crime. The principle of this law is that it has to compensate the loss, but actually not um, over compensate. However, there are times, and you will have read and in the news and in, <clears throat> where people will say this punishment doesn't fit the crime or this punishment is too harsh for the crime. But on the whole in this country, we, we, we have systems set up and sometimes it's a financial, isn't it? So for this crime, you, get, uh, you have to pay a fine of this amount of money. But this is the principle where an injury or a crime or something has happened. How do you compensate that? Um, and say so we have systems in place. Um, but the thing is, when people take retaliation into their own hands, this goes right out of the window, doesn't it? And people lose control. And we only have to look around the world to see what happens when people take retaliation into their own hands. And then things get escalated and retaliation um, continues and spirals out of control. So Jesus has come along and he's saying, actually, um, you've heard it said like this, but I actually want to teach you something different now. Um, and before we just look at what what um, <clears throat> what Jesus did say, I want to kind of put it into some kind of context for you. Um, and like many of you, I've got a Bible downloaded on my phone, and every day it sends me a, a random verse, and so I read it. Um, and uh, two or three weeks ago, it sent me this verse in Colossians, and it was um, before I knew that I was going to speak today. So. I, but I, re I remember focusing on it and thinking about it and asking God, what does this really mean? And, and I spent quite a lot of time on this verse. And it was this, and it said, For him were all things created that were in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him 
and for him. And I just want to focus on this verse for a minute to try and put this into context. Because God created a visible and an invisible realm. And I think that even, even though we're Pentecostal, I think we focus a lot on the visible realm. What we see, what's around us, what God has created. But this verse, as I meditated on this for days, I thought, actually, God has created, and I knew this, but I was kind of revisiting it in my mind. God has created two realms, two kingdoms. One is visible and one is invisible. They're both on heaven and they're both on earth. And why has he created them? He's created them for him. So I looked at the powers and the principalities and the dominions Because when Jesus walked on the earth, he was actually a physical, visible manifestation of the invisible realm. So he came from the invisible realm to the visible realm, and we saw God as a visible being. And when he did miracles, when the lame walked and the sick were healed and he fed the 5,000, what were we seeing? We were seeing the realm of the invisible being brought into the realm of the visible. And therefore... Uh, God was showing us something of the power and authority of the invisible realm brought into the visible realm. So what do these particular verses mean? Well, uh, a throne means by implication a power. Dominions are rules or government. Um, Principalities are by application of order or rank. And powers are delegated influence. So God has created in the invisible and the visible, a governmental, authoritative um, um, realm uh, which has delegated influence and he's created it for him. And who has he delegated the authority to? To the church, to us, to the body. So he has... He has created this for earth, invisible realm, and he's delegated the authority to us. And what we need to realise is that this realm that he's set up is the superior realm to the realm of the visible. We sing it, but I wonder if we really understand that. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no higher authority or realm than the realm that God has set up in the invisible realm. And if we look deeper into that government and the delegation of it, we can see that it doesn't operate under the same rules as the visible realm. If it did, what was the point in setting it up? So we've got different principles and different, uh, different um, way of operating in the invisible and the visible. Now, <clears throat> when I was cycling um, to Paris in the northern part of France, we went through lots of these sleepy villages where nobody was around. Nobody, I couldn't, didn't see anybody. I thought, what are they doing all day? There's, I know it's a farming area, but there just wasn't anybody around. And <clears throat> we cycled through the fields of Somme where the Battle of Somme was. And, and it was very moving because we know that 50,000 people died in a day there during the war. And it's all now fields of poppies. It's just a mass of red. It's just quite moving as we cycled through there. But we stopped in this sleepy little um, village to get a drink. And um, when we came out of this little cafe, um, uh, we just automatically, there was just a small group of us, we automatically started cycling on the left. We just completely went back into 
um, our mode of cycling over here until after a little way up the road, someone called out, hey, we're on the wrong side, guys. And so, you know, we all pulled over onto the right. Now, <clears throat> I could have said, well, I don't care. You know, in Britain, in my realm, we operate on the left and therefore I'm going to stay on the left. But actually, it wouldn't have kept me out of trouble <laughs> with the police. It might have also got me into trouble in an accident. So I had to operate under the guidelines and under the principles of the way they operate in France. I had to move onto the right-hand side of the road. It's no good saying, well, I'm just going to be me and I'm just going to operate in what I know. I had to move into what I don't usually do and do what they do over there. And I think part of the reason that we struggle, it wasn't the only time I veered off onto the left, I have to say, but um, I think we often struggle with the realm of the invisible i.e. God's kingdom, because we try to operate in it using the principles that we know from the visible realm. You know, we haven't really understood the difference between the way you operate in the invisible realm from the visible realm in the way that I had to operate in the way they operate in France when I was over there, because otherwise it wouldn't work. But there's no higher authority the invisible realm of the kingdom of God that he wants to establish on the earth. And we have to know how it works and how it operates. And I think particularly because of situations going on in my family at the moment, I want to know how God operates. I want to know and I want to understand. I can't keep praying the same old prayers over and over and over, which have never worked in the past. I need to understand. Um, say if we, in fact, the definition of um, stupidity is just to keep doing the same things over and over and expecting a different result. If you want a different result, you've got to do something different. And sometimes we wonder why things don't work and operate in the realm of the invisible in God's kingdom because we're just doing the same old thing over and over that hasn't worked in the past, but we're expecting it to. And so therefore, it's really crucial and important to understand how God's kingdom operates. And Jesus is saying here, I'm going to show you a different way, um, a more powerful way. But the thing is that the invisible kingdom, the kingdom of God, we have to operate, we have to believe before we see. In the realm of the visible, we see and then we believe. But in the realm of the invisible, we have to believe before we see. And we have to believe on the basis that God says so. God said so, and therefore if I operate on the way that God said so, I'm operating in the invisible realm under the power of the kingdom of God. So let's look at what Jesus said then about retaliation or revenge, and let's look at a definition of revenge. It's an action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or a wrong suffered at their hands, the desire to inflict retribution. And we see this. This is hugely fed into us through the media, soap operas, television, films, the whole thing about retaliation. I mean, soap operas are just made up of constant retaliation and revenge and nastiness towards each other. Otherwise, nobody would watch them. And the, and, and the, re, and the reason why we, um, and I say the proverbial we because I can't bear them, when, the reason we watch them is because that's the way our brain's wired. And there's some kind of reward in that. So let me ask you, has anybody in this room never felt the need to get someone back for what they've done? <laughs> has anybody never thought, we're going to get you for that? And the reason we do that is because it's the way that we're wired. Yeah. 
It's the way that we're made. And revenge is an intense feeling that comes up in every single human being. And I just want to explore the science of this for a moment because I want you to understand. And I'm just going to give you a quick biology lesson because um, revenge is a powerful internal force that we need to understand. So a group of Swiss scientists wanted to understand what was going on in the brain when people were seeking revenge. And so they set up a game with people who were wronged during the, re- during the game. And while that was going on, they were scanning their brains to see what was happening. And what was happening was that the scientists noticed that here's a picture, CT scan of your brain with the top sliced off. And what these scientists noticed that when people were seeking revenge in an area called the caudate nucleus in your brain, that little red area there, of which you've got one on each side, there was activity in that. Now, that is the very part of your brain that processes reward. Um, And we know that God understands reward and God understands pleasure. He said he's made all good things for our pleasure. And we know that we made for his pleasure. God is a God of reward. So God understands this. But we have a part of our brain which is which is specifically um, will uh, operate uh, when we are looking for and seeking and obtaining reward. And this was the part of brain, the brain that was being activated. Now, we have, um, when it comes to re- reward, we have need for primary rewards. And these are things that we need to survive. So palatable food. So next Sunday, when you come to the international lunch, um, you're going to you're going to have a sense of reward because you're going to be hungry. And when you eat that palatable food, you're going to have a pri- that your primary need for reward is going to be met um, with the food because you need that to survive. We have intrinsic rewards, which is unconditional rewards that are attractive and motivate behaviour because they're inherently pleasurable. So a tangible recognition Um, or a tangible reward, um, which actually gives pleasure. We have a need for that. We also have a need for extrinsic rewards, which may or may not contain pleasure, but have a value to us. So money, for example, may or may not have pleasure attached to it, but it actually has a value to us, and it is a reward for us. And basically, any situation that has the potential to draw you towards it and for you to consume it, um, by definition, is a reward. If you're drawn towards something and you consume it, it is actually, I don't mean eat it, I mean consume it, embrace it into your world. It has the potential, by definition, to be a reward to you. Um, and it will be, your, that part of your brain will be operating. And there's p- three primary functions for wanting a reward or for getting a reward. And that is that it will produce this classical conditioning and operant uh, reinforcement, a consequence that will strengthen the behaviour. So what a reward does is, so where it produces classical conditioning, many of you will have seen um, on the television or whatever where um, monkeys or dogs or mice or rats are trained for a reward. So a mouse might run through a maze and somebody clicks and then it's given some food. Pavlo's dogs was another example where the dogs were conditioned to behave in such a way and they were given a reward. 
And the primary function of reward is that it produces that classical conditioning and the consequence of which that it'll reinforce particular behaviours when you get that reward. So, for example, just thinking about this too, is that if you eat chocolate, for example, you get a sensation of pleasure from that. You get a sense of reward from that, but only momentarily. So, um, effect. It also, the function of rewards, it affects your decision-making and it'll motivate your behaviour towards to, some, toward, to, to move towards something or to move away from something. So uh, this whole idea of a reward can affect your behaviour because it will trigger a pattern of thinking that you either move towards or you move away from. Um, and also, of course... The function of reward is for positive emotions and particularly pleasure. Are we not fearfully and wonderfully made, church? It's incredible. Our brain is the most incredible um, organ in our body. The way that it works, the way that it responds emotionally as well as decision-making and so many other things. And so... This study then went on to suggest um, that in the moment things can be quite rewarding, but they wanted to find out whether or not people keep um, getting rewarded, uh, whether in the long term revenge is a a long-term reward. Um, But in fact, what they found was that actually revenge has quite the opposite effect. In the short term, it might give you a bit of pleasure. So while I was away... Um, I've got a neighbour, unfortunately, who doesn't like anything from my garden overhanging into her garden. And I've got, on the side of my garden, I've got a grapevine. And if you've, any of you have got grapevines, you know how fast they grow, especially this time of the year. And um, so while I'm away, she often waits till I'm away, she will hack off whatever's hanging over her side, which is fine. She's allowed to do that. But this time she decided to lean over a couple of foot and hack off what was on my side because then it would, you know, she wouldn't have to cut it so often. So, of course, I came home from my holiday. Um, come, I've just been away for a week and I came home and I saw that, I thought, what's happened to my grapevine? Um, and I could see, I knew she'd done it because um, she'd left some of the branches. The leaves were all withered and I thought, well, why are they withered? And then when I went and looked, of course, they've all been chopped. So I thought, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm going to chop all the heads off her dahlias. So, (laughs) did that give me a moment of pleasure? Yes, it did. I thought, yeah, I'm going to go and get her. I'm going to go... You know, she's done that to me and she waited till I was away. Uh, It's a bit worrying as well because she also goes out at night in the dark. So, you know, I'm thinking in the morning when I wake up, where else am I going to find? But however... um, So, my immediate response was, I'm going to get her. I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to her. Now, I happened to be at the time when I knew I was preaching on this. So I thought, mm. I thought, I better just wait first. Let me just wait and see what I'm supposed to do. Um, because, um, because otherwise I might regret what I do. And, and uh, she was even out in the garden. I saw her out in the garden, but I determined. I made it, no, you're not going out there. Because if you go out there, you might say something. And then you'll say, because I was still annoyed with her for doing it. So... Um, 
so I, I waited to see what I should what I should do. But in the moment, you get that sense of reward, you get that sense of pleasure. In the long term, is that still the way? Well, this study actually showed that it wasn't. That even though you might. Um, have a sense of reward for a few moments. It does not actually quench that whole um, that the, the sense of justice. It actually leads to hostility, and therefore reward prolongs the unpleasantness of the original offence. And so, instead of justice, all you do is set off a retaliation, a cycle of retaliation. So I'd chop off the heads of her dahlias and she comes and slashes my apple tree. And so I go back and push the fence over and she comes back and, you know, there's all my hanging baskets on the floor. That's what would happen. And every day, every day when I drive to work, I see road rage. I see it. It's not, not necessarily directed at me. But I see it on the road, and then someone someone hoots, and then someone else hoots, and then someone shakes their fist, and someone else shouts. And I've even seen people pop up through their roof, and you know, <laughs> and it's retaliation, that cycle of retaliation. Um, and when we get our emotions involved in retaliation, it gets out of control. And we know, and we've seen. Um, throughout the world what happens when people take retaliation into their own hands you know we we've seen all these episodes in america where school children have taken guns to school and and killed people uh, right down to you know people who have split up from relationships cutting up his best suit or key in his car or whatever they're doing that whole thing of revenge and retaliation in the moment might be good but actually in the long term gandhi said this he said an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. And it's absolutely true. And Jesus came along and he said, look, you've been taught this, but actually now I want you to think a different way and behave a different way. So he said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer them the other. Now, you come and hit me. Am I going to say hit me again? Absolutely not. This is a principle that God is trying to teach us here. If they sue you in the court for your shirt, give them your coat. If a soldier asks you to carry his gear for a mile, which is what they used to do, the Roman soldiers, he says carry it for two. This is where we get that phrase, going the second mile. It comes out of scripture, going the second mile. Um, Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So what is Jesus telling us to do? He's saying... Um, what I want you to do is that when someone wounds you or injures you or harms you, I don't want you to retaliate. I want you to go the second mile. This is the second mile syndrome. This is the response to wanting to uh, get revenge on somebody. Really, Jesus? (laughs) I'm wired for revenge. Don't you know that part of my brain that you've given me is wired for revenge because I'm the sense of pleasure that I'm going to get for that? Jesus is actually saying, yes, that's what I'm asking you to do. Now, why would we want to go the second mile for somebody who has harmed us or hurt us or for whom we want to get back? Because we want them to see the kingdom of God. We want them to see the invisible realm. We want them to see Christ in me. Christ in me will go the second mile for my neighbour. Deborah in me will slash her garden to bits. Because that's the way I'm wired. 
God is saying to us that he wants us to behave in a kingdom way. He wants us to um, do things for other people. Do you know, I've discovered in the latter years of my life that you can kill people with kindness. You know, when people are up against you and people are wanting to destroy you or put you down or harm you, you can turn that whole situation around with kindness. You can turn that whole situation around by uh, going the second mile with that person. Why? Because it's a principle of the invisible kingdom. And when we behave in that way, we are bringing the realm of the invisible, just like Jesus did, into the visible into that realm and when we do that kind of thing uh, lives can be changed kingdom living is a choice I don't have to pray I know what the Bible says I know what God is asking me to do I don't need a bolt of lightning to come down and hit me it's a choice but I've got to choose to go against against my natural desires I've got to choose to say I know I'm wired like this but actually I'm going to behave like this And if I continually behave like this, I will recondition myself. I will recondition my thinking and my brain so that it becomes the normal way for me to respond. So that when people hurt me or harm me, I no longer respond with a desire to retaliate. I respond with a desire to go the extra mile with them. God says, bless your enemies. Don't curse your enemies. Bless your enemies. And this is part of that. To behave in a kingdom way, making kingdom choices. You know, we can break down barriers with people. I've seen people who I've approached with kindness and second mile attitude. I've seen them break down and cry. I've seen them realise in that moment God was doing something in their heart and mind. They were expecting me to retaliate, but I didn't. And therefore, God gave, gave, it gave God an opportunity to melt their heart, to work on them. You can restore relationships. You can restore trust. The one thing that's lost when someone hurts you or wounds you is trust in that relationship. Trust is so hard to get back, but God can restore trust. He can restore trust in relationships. He can heal wounds. He can change lives. Because this is kingdom living. This is what Jesus is asking you to do. He's saying... You know and you've read and you've heard and you've been taught this way. But now I want to recondition your brain. I want to recondition the way that you're wired. And I'm asking you to behave like this in kingdom fashion. Amen.